hello. Welcome back to another episode of Working Wife, Happy Life. I am your host, Bethany Baines. I don't know about you all, but it's not even October and I am already fully decorated for Halloween. When it was like mid-September and I started pulling out the pumpkin dish towels, my husband almost staged an intervention. I guess maybe it's just my way of trying to make this year go by as fast as possible. Who knows? Anyway, today's guest is a very special one to me in that I have known her since my very first days at Google, Alana Karen. And while we haven't worked closely together in several years, there is definitely this unbreakable bond and connection amongst us early day Googlers and the way that we all started our journeys in tech together. What Alana has set out to do in her new book is so relevant and so important, and it is to tell the stories of the women in tech. Her book titled The Adventures of Women in Tech, How We Got Here and Why We Stay. We've all heard so much about the bro culture and tech's early beginnings. We've heard about diversity issues, but what have we actually heard from the women in tech other than like anecdotal articles or massive lawsuits? Well, listen ahead as Alana and I discuss so many interesting insights that she gleaned from interviewing over 80 women in tech, things that were shockingly consistent, things that surprised her, learning how investments and even networks are evolving, talking about whether women help or don't help other women, uh, so much that we delve into in this conversation. And as a 17-year tech veteran and company woman, very interested in the why we stay. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alana as much as I did. Okay, we are live. Uh, first of all, I am so excited for you and a huge, huge congrats on such an amazing feat in the midst of a pandemic of completing and publishing your own book, Alana Karen of Google. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like how you got that in. Yes. That's yes. amazing. I mean, I feel like I got it done. We, we saw each other last probably a year and a half ago at that training and we had talked about this, and then I feel like when everything went crazy during the pandemic is when everybody had these moments of, I'm either going to keep on the track I was going, or I'm going to completely move off. Um, and you obviously kept pushing yourself. Was that like your self-drive? Did you feel like you needed that for like your sanity to keep pouring yourself into the book? or? I think it was a mixture of determination and also luck, because- yeah. On the day, it was March 17th, that they were closing and announcing, like, everything's closing, schools are closing, at least in the Bay Area, like, we're done. I was rapidly putting together the final version, not the final, sorry, the draft version of my book. All the writing was done, and I just need to send it out for copy editing. And so... I think because it had already reached that stage. Yeah. I went through through it. 
Yeah, there was from from there on out, there was a momentum of like, okay, you get the edits back, you do this with it, then you need this, then you do the cover. And it wasn't also all my work from there on out. Like the copy editor was doing their piece, the book cover artist was doing their piece, like the company that I was working with to actually put together the book and get it out was doing their piece. And I I just had to like interact back and forth. Like I was given an assignment, do this, and then we can do our part. I think that that really helped. But I will say that throughout this process, once I had the idea, I felt very driven to get the stories of these women out. And, And the book is, as you know, because I interviewed for it, called Adventures of Women in Tech, How We Got Here and Why We Stay. And I've interviewed over 80 women to put together what I think is a more (laughs) full story of what women are experiencing as they navigate tech across different roles, different backgrounds, different ambitions. And so once I had the idea, I will say I was super motivated. I was like, I don't see this book out there. I want to get this book out there. Then I'd interviewed the women and I felt really much like, okay, now I'm carrying their stories really yeah. motivated to get their stories out there. So I I do think even if it had been less fortunate timing, I would have felt very driven, but I also got super lucky. Yeah. I love you're reminding me of that phrase, the harder the hardest harder I work, the luckier I get. And it is funny yeah. how those things, you know, kind of tend to to come into coincide. And I so I want to talk about this book, obviously. Um but I want to first hear like your story because you were you had already been at Google years before I came on the scene. Um, I've been there almost seventeen years. I would love to just share with our listeners your background, how you came to tech, um, even how you ended up in Silicon Valley, uh, which maybe you grew up there. I think I'm trying to remember, but I would love to hear what your path was to tech, because I think it will give a great basis for understanding why you were so driven to write this book and and go into some of the stories there. Sure. Yeah. Actually, I grew up in New Jersey. Oh, you did? Yeah. That's where I am right now. Yeah. Closer to you. In New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is the home of Mm -hmm. Rutgers University. And my mom worked for the women's college, um, which is called Douglas. And we, I actually grew up in a dormitory. I lived on campus. Oh, wow. How cool. Yeah, and, a, and terrifying. <laughs> yeah, in Knowing a very, what happens in a dorm. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a very interesting setup. Um, we had our own apartment. It was actually kind of large. So it was like a perk of that job. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it was, it was, you know, it was watching my mom have to work round the clock for, you know, not, not very high pay. And... And we, we really didn't have a lot of money. So I was really motivated at a young age to get to a place of more stability. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting was that you know, as going through school, what I was mostly interested in were things like history and creative writing. So I really wasn't on a path to make money. <laughs> right. None of those things seem synonymous with wealth, but yes. Uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to be. I was just really exploring. And in that exploration, I stumbled upon early web design. 
right? Internet was coming out, getting really popular for actual communication and business, not just kind of behind the scenes stuff in colleges that was happening for a while. And I self-taught myself HTML. Wow. And And that was, I mean, give me a year range. That was probably mid-90s, late 90s? That would have been like 1996. Yeah. Yeah. There were, I mean, there were, there were tips online, but there were no classes at my school. Yeah. Uh, There were tools coming out, but again, nothing that you, everything you would have to do was self-taught. Yeah. And I mean, I uh, didn't even have an email address at that stage. I had an email address. I was a little behind. I was a little behind. Yeah. University of Virginia had given each of us an email address. And you used Eudora, which was one of these original email clients. And yeah, it was it was back in the day. Yeah. And hotmail was just coming out. Like my that first was my first email address was a hotmail yeah, account. Yeah. It was hotmail. Yeah, we're going back. We're going mm-hmm. back in the history. So and I started to convince my professors that I could turn in web projects instead of essays. And I did a bunch of internships and did web work for them. And I think everyone just thought I was insane. I remember when I told my advisor that I was interested in getting a job in web design and the internet. He was like, why, why would you do that? Like, what? like it was still like, what is that? What are you talking about? It was not a thing that you did. And it was very newfangled and weird to say, that's what you wanted to do. And I think to him, I was throwing away like education, basically. Like why, why go monkey around on that stuff? Like, yeah, that's not going to last kind of thing. Interesting. Um, Yes. It was really, really early on. Anyway, I parlayed my experience into a job at the university, redoing a website for the college of arts and sciences. And then that led um, because I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, which is lovely, but very, very quiet. Yeah. And I was sort of going insane by myself post-college. That led me to move out to the Bay Area for a startup. That startup didn't last very long. I was there about a year and a half and got laid off right after 9-11. Mm. And that was also during the downturn. And I just yeah. started to apply to places like, you know, Similar to now, it wasn't a great time to look for a job, at least in what I was looking for. The tech bubble had burst, at least for that time. That, that first bubble. <laughs> the dot-com, the, really the specifically the dot-com bubble had burst. And I couldn't travel. My mom t- said, you can't travel because of 9-11. Yeah, 9-11, yeah. Um, we're at the anniversary right now, so. yeah pause to pay our respects. And I applied to Google because I'd happened to see that they were hiring business people. And that's how I got in out of the, out of the resume stack. And I've been there 19, almost 19 years now. Oh my God. It's so interesting that your path where, you know, and we'll get into this topic, and I hate to always default into this lens, but you do wonder if in those, you know, mid to late 90s conversations where you were being discouraged from pursuing this, was a different conversation happening somewhere else? And was that conversation different toward men in terms of, you know, kind of the ability to dabble versus seeking security? Um, and and I think 
in many ways that is kind of the undercurrent to a lot of uh, the stories that you've probably heard in terms of just the the perception or treatment or advice tends to differ. Um, but I don't want to lead uh, too much into this. I, I would love to, uh, you know, hear. So the title, The Adventures of Women in Tech, How We Got Here and Why We Stay. So when I first read that and I read the back half of that and why we stay, this is a question I get all the time. Why have you stayed? Um, so I'm really curious to hear from you about the title, your why you stay and why that was such an important piece to this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a different working title when I first started the book, which was mm-hmm. surviving or thriving stories of women navigating tech, something like that. Um, and as I was interviewing people, it really didn't fit. And I talk about this in one of the chapters of the book, because we're never just surviving or just thriving. It's really this continuum. Mm -hmm. And to me, as I was then thinking about it, I was like, well, it's really this adventure, right? You're on your hero's journey. There's ups, there's downs. There's times where you need support. There's times where you want to give up and you don't. And all of these kind of things added up for me where then I thought, well, it's an adventure and I want, I want people to feel that. Um, doesn't mean adventures are always great, right? They can be scary. <laughs> they can be yeah. risky, but yep. we do it because we are passionate about something or because there's a perceived reward at the end or whatever it is. Um, so that just fit for me better. And how we got here, obviously, you know, I was just talking, there's all these interesting stories. There's no single story that's like highly predictable Mm -hmm. of how people ended up in tech. And I think nowadays there might be a little bit more because you could go to college and take a program, which is around more of what we do. Right. Um, but most of the women I was I was interviewing with had been in tech more than ten years, some less. Um, and and so you know, mostly they were making big leaps or taking chances or you know, hopping from a digital photography company like someone yeah. I know um, <laughs> to an unknown company that served ice cream on Fridays. So for example, just for example, (laughs) random example. Um, So the how we got here part was very easy. And the why we stay is interesting because yes, don't we get asked that all the time? All the time. time. And part of it is because we've stayed at one company so long. Right. Which is very rare in our generation anyway, but yes. Yeah. We're like these weird Ford people in in a, in a, yeah, we're the company people. Um, but also in light of what I think you and I constantly see, which is articles telling us how we're leaving tech, you know, the headlines are always so juicy, like women won't go to tech. They won't stay in tech. They're leaving tech, the doobie doobie do. And when I interviewed women, most of us weren't going anywhere. Right. I mean, maybe we were going to leave a job. Maybe we were going to hop this. Maybe we had pipe dreams of doing something else. Maybe we had plans 
X years in the future, but it wasn't like how the articles had painted it. Yeah. And I, in fact, had to explicitly go out and interview women, like essentially get a set of extra women to interview who had left tech. So I represented that point of view because I really didn't stumble upon it when I interviewed a ton of women working in tech. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I've I've seen, I, I remember over the years, a few people that would leave to, you know, get into nursing or get into things that were completely different. And I think it it seemed very noble, but it also seemed very particular, right? There was a, like a very particular drive to do something different where, you know, I think the course of any career, it just, it, it becomes its own kind of organism, right? It's just kind of evolving and you're on the adventure, on the journey, and it keeps unraveling. Like, at least for me, when when I'm asked why I stay, I mean, my first response is the money, because to be honest, it's a necessary, it's a necessary thing, particularly as a breadwinner. Um, but also it's, it's the, we're in an industry where it's constantly evolving and it's constantly changing and our roles are changing. And, you know, again, whether we like it or not, we'll be through a reorg or through a product development or a product sunsetting, like all of a sudden your day to day becomes completely different every two years. And so why would I leave? Right? Like when I can have the same insurance and have the same stability and have the the cachet of the network and the relationships that I have and still find myself challenged or, you know, in moments of frustration, having to work through it, those types of things. And, you know, I just don't see, I, sure, I could go to another tech company, um, and that would be a natural progression. But I also, you know, I also feel very strongly that I have to believe in the company I'm working for. Um, and that is getting harder and harder to do. Yeah. I mean, we won't go into, we won't devolve into a full thing, but tech has gotten very big. Google has gotten very big and big always, um, historically is harder and harder to like believe in and understand and comes with a lot of, um, suspicions and scrutiny and, and, and so, yeah, very interesting. I will say that for the how we stay, I came away with feeling very much after talking with women that as a whole, women come to tech partially because of meaningful salaries, but often because paired with that are values that they believe in and an ability to change the world and impact the world at a scale that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Mm. Um, And a culture, which is, while we still scrutinize it, and you can end up in spots where it is not positive, a culture on the whole, which is progressive. Yes, I'd agree with that. So when those things aren't true, that's when we risk losing them. Right. Um, And definitely there are people who have different life paths, right? Like they come to tech for 10 years to do this, to save up for grad school, whatever it is. Now they're going. Um, But generally what I would say is that the women that seemed risky for burnout, for leaving, et cetera, something in that recipe was faltering. Hmm. And if they no longer feel 
inspired, if they don't feel like they're innovating, if they feel like they're trapped in a role with an unsupportive manager, whatever it is, that's when they are at risk. Certainly for leaving that manager, maybe that company, um, but maybe even tech. You know, anytime you lose people, you don't know what what decisions they're going to make. And and as you know, there's another thing going on where if we only pick cities and those cities get crowded and the traffic gets bad and it gets expensive to live in and all of those kinds of things, well, then you've got life things that people are dealing with. Or as they build families, what are the best decisions for those families? So there's all of that full person backdrop Mm -hmm. to how people make decisions. And I think that the articles still very much make it seem like. Like it's an inhospitable environment and that we're just it's, it's being purely, turned out. Yeah, it's purely an inhospitable environment or, well, you know, they're going to become moms. So we, mm. we lose them. Like as if like, oh, it's just biological, <laughs> you know. <laughs> exactly. It's, it is known. It just happens that way. Um, yeah. You know, don't, I mean, bother that- do, don't bother doing anything about it. Don't right. bother, like, you know, it's just, there's a phase of life when they have to go do that stuff. It's funny too, because I, so, I mean, obviously when we met, we were so young and, you know, neither of us had kids yet. And I remember, I I mean, I, I guess my point is I actually don't remember the conversation being very much focused around that. And perhaps it was the youth of the industry or the youth of our company or the youth of our group. Um, But I don't remember a lot of, you know, there I don't even remember if there was a women's ERG, you know, I don't remember if this was a topic of conversation around retention. I don't, the, the biggest kind of memory I have of anything in this progressive area was when Cheryl was expecting and she had them put the expected mom's parking spaces closer to the building. That to me was the first sign of like, Oh, somebody's thinking about this. Somebody's doing something about kind of what women's needs are in the workplace when they can't, you know, maybe walk comfortably or shouldn't have to walk as far as, you know, people who are not eight months pregnant going to work. Um, But it, it really, I think for us and for kind of our generation where the level of conversation, the earnest that these programs are being put into place, um, the, the really even the media as much as they get it wrong, but the insights and the articles around this are really hell and gone from what we experienced 15, 20 years ago. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 We, we entered in the era of still, you come in and you do your work and it shouldn't matter all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a meritocracy. Yes. That was the and- word. And we purely believe in that, right? In a very, in a very innocent way. You know, I don't think most people were like, ha ha ha, if we say a meritocracy, then we'll screw the minorities. No, they thought meritocracy was a way to solve that. Right. But none of that mattered, right? Like we're not talking about the era of nepotism. We're not talking about the era of, you know, only if you um, can golf with us on Thursdays, right? Like whatever it is, like, no, it's what you do here 
that matters. And it, and most of us were running on that. We were running, mm-hmm. you know, we were working 80 hours a week and, you know, climbing that ladder and just, you know, yep. running as fast as we can. And we didn't, and, look, and I can we did not it look. Definitely went that way too, right? Like it was like a meteoric rise in the beginning and it was very much, um, yeah, I, there was. We also had the luxury at the size to not have as many, you know, a, as you grow, just more structure naturally comes, and there was less. There was less structure, less less guardrails. I felt like. I need some help with my. Hold on, I have a kid coming. Yeah, sounds fair. With my age, I can't. Oh, with your age, okay. I'm not going to be able to help you though very much on this game. So if it needs more. It's SpongeBob. Best game ever. SpongeBob game. Actually, don't. They don't really need to know your birthday. I just have to get it approximate. You were not born in 1950. Why does it start? It's a SpongeBob game. Why? (laughs) Maybe it's like here. Hey, stop it, stop. No, I'm not not confused about where it is. I'm making it work. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Wait. Okay, there you go. Enjoy. Um, enjoy SpongeBob, little one. He'll get you through this. Enjoy, enjoy SpongeBob. <laughs> uh, wait, let me, sorry. Where were, but I felt like I was going to add to that, which was that. Let's see. We're talking about the structure, and as you grow. Yeah, and none of us were to. like looking, and for a while, none of us were acutely aware of any differences. Because we were all growing quickly enough that it didn't really matter. And there were, the main thing I remember was when they hired MBAs that came in. And that felt very disruptive, I remember. Mm -hmm. Because here we all were racing up the ladder. And then they just let some people cut in. Yeah, they just like (laughs) slotted at a certain level because of that, yes. And I think that was the beginning. Because while they had done a an effort to be fairer in hiring and all of that type of stuff. That's when you noticed like a lot of just like suited men show up Mm -hmm. and, and it was just a weird, weird vibe. And then I think that's, that, that was maybe the beginning of us having some awareness. Now we were in a business unit led by a woman. So I think we were also super fortunate that the dynamic was just totally different in that world. We were far more even, if not women dominant in that group. And so I think a lot of the things that people experienced or were experienced in the more um, engineering environment, we got to do our initial years without that. And it was only when we got more senior that we started to see it. But for the overall space, the, the it took years and years and years. I mean, you know, maybe seven years ago, we started to talk about unconscious bias mm-hmm. and that took a period of time. That's when we realized meritocracy alone doesn't work if you've got the shadow of all these biases influencing what you're doing. And then in the last couple of years with Me Too, of course, the racial injustice from this year, you've got more structural themes coming in. It's not just how our minds work, but also for hundreds of years, we've been rigging the system, right. um, whether intentionally or unintentionally. All of that's new. We did yeah. not come in under that. 
No preference. And, and, and so that's what's interesting too, is it's, I, I reflect on that time for myself, like, was I naive? And, and maybe yes, because there's all of those systemic things when it comes to, you know, gender, uh, racial, like all of those lines exist and we're part of a system that we didn't yet recognize. We didn't yet know existed to be enraged about. Um, and, and, you know, so it's like, that's what it's, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's almost one of those things where you question, like, are we, have we created this narrative or this thing? It's like, no, it's been happening. It just wasn't so obvious. And potentially the group is, is specific to that. But I, I want to kind of move off Google specifically a little bit and, and talk in general, you know, you interviewed 80 women. Um, it seems like there's a lot of trends in some of the feedback you heard from this women, but I'm curious, like, what surprised you the most? What were some of the things that you were, you know, very surprised to hear or hadn't really occurred to you as being an issue? Or was there nothing? Was it exactly what you expected it would be having known these women for as many years as you have? I endeavored to interview women I didn't know as as a big part of that because I didn't want it to just be this weird you know, that there might even be diversity problems if I just interview women I knew. I was endeavoring to find surprises. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say that on the whole, it was what I expected. I put together a chapter structure before I interviewed women. It did not change after I'd interviewed women. And I did not, as you know, I asked very general questions. It wasn't like I really fed into... I didn't like predetermine the questions against the chapter structure. And I think some of the things that surprised me were subtler than you would think. So one of the things that really surprised me was that when I asked women what they love about tech or why they joined tech, the answers, it was like we'd rehearsed it in the back room. It was so consistent of... I joined because of the ability to change the world, the fast-paced environment where I wouldn't be bored, the interesting work, the career opportunity, and the people. That's crazy. And some people would answer a piece of it. Some people would emphasize different. So it wasn't like exactly that line, but it was so consistent. And I thought that was really interesting. I, I didn't think it would be so straightforward. And it then ended up surprising me. Well, then if you think about that's why they join tech, you have the recipe for why they leave tech. You already have it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that being so straightforward was a surprise. I didn't Like it's like the legs of the stool are wobbly and that, you know, enough enough wobble and it's going to come down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because... It, like you said, if you read the articles, it's just like, we don't know why it's happening. And it's like, all you have to do is take the value of why we're coming in and then figure out where that value is lacking, which is driving us away. SpongeBob. SpongeBob break. He, he does. So the, the problem with the kid games, I mean, he's... <laughs> Okay. I told you that I'm not going to be able to help you. So is your brother up? Is your sister up? Please go use them. Okay. Mommy is in the middle of doing something. Thank you. Love you. Love you. (laughs) 
Uh, th- no, it's really interesting because it is, in some ways, if you ask the right questions and you ask the right people, the answer actually does become quite simple for something that is uh, often billed as being very complex. Yeah. And and I do think that that's part of, there were little things along the way, little aha moments where I did have some of those like, oh, okay, so that's, that's actually part of the system that we're within. In a way yeah. that as long as you get to pretend you're surprised, you don't have to fix something and you don't have to fix the thing that's hard. Yes. And that is unintentional probably for most people, part of the system that we're in. And so I think it was just little moments like that where I was like, oh, I didn't see that connection before. You know, I talk about likability and why women won't help women. And, and I, and I talk about like what that dynamic is. And there were just little ahas along the way that was a little bit like, oh, that's, that's part of that recipe that I didn't think about before. And that plays out in the book, but overall, I wasn't that surprised. The, the stories were what I'd been hearing, yeah. you know, at trainings life. and at conferences for years. Yeah. And and as a manager for years. And and there's so many stories, I mean, including one that I shared that after the fact, I was like, you know what? It does become so individual that you're just like, actually, I don't want that going in a book because that person will know exactly who I'm talking about and exactly what I'm talking about. And that becomes part of the that becomes part of the problem, frankly, is that there's that kind of fear of any sort of retaliation or burned bridges because tech itself is also a very incestuous uh, group. And, you know, you can look at all the leaders across some of the top uh, companies, since certainly in Silicon Valley, and they've all just jumped around to different companies or or been born of Google. And it's that part is challenging. But you did just hit on something that I'd love to dig into, this idea of women helping or not helping women, although you phrase it that women not helping women. Is that true? Is that, did you uncover that in your, your research? This is another part of the system that we're within. It's definitely true enough because you will talk to women and many will have had moments where they felt this tension with other women or women did not help them and they expected it. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is, and I sort of untangle this in the book, that our expectations are pretty high for women. And so all of us are, to some degree, trapping each other in these expectations in an environment where we might only have so much time to help each other. And some women may think of it as a zero-sum game. If I help you, I hurt me. And that's entirely mm-hmm. natural, in fact, because that's human survival. Mm-hmm. If it feels like there's only one senior position, only one spot on the board for a minority or a woman, whatever it is, there's going to be that built-in scarcity. And so trying to unpack that and say, well, no, 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 no. The only way we get out of the zero-sum game is... To help each other right. and have there be five spots on the board for women, <laughs> right. not, not continue to play into the system, which benefits from us having this tension with each other. Again, right. whether 
intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and it doesn't really benefit, by the way. It just sustains the status quo. As right. we see from the data, the more you have minority influence in your company, the better you do because you have different perspectives and all of these different things. So it's just a very interesting tangle. And there is a truth to it. There is also a drama to it, which I talk about. I think it's intriguing to tell these stories. It seems like sexy cat fights or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but when you talk with women, there's definitely women who have stories about being disappointed, mm -hmm. like having felt like they should have had a better experience with a woman. Why that woman should have known, like, I'm, yeah, she's, she's navigating the same system I am. Why wouldn't she help me? And, or, or, or joining a team run by women and having a bad experience. And as you know, women are just, I think, as likely to be bad managers as male right. managers. It's something that right. you have to grow and learn and whatnot. But if there's fewer women managers, it's going to feel like the percent Right, it's gonna feel. It's like, more. It's yeah. It's like more. It's highlighted. gonna feel different. Yeah, it's gonna be more highlighted, right? So anyway, there's there's I, I cover a lot of that in a chapter in the book because I was so intrigued by it that I dug into it, and certainly the answer still is that uh, women have to step up, <laughs> certainly to help each other um, yeah. if we're gonna get out of this zero sum game rap racket. But I also think that, you know, everyone, men included, has to step up. It's like not it's it's not enough just to say, hey, women do more. You know, yeah. it's 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 not going to be the answer. And I think we have to watch out for our expectations when we put that on each other. I think that's fair. And, and you hitting on scarcity, too. It just makes me think, I can't remember where this came from, if it was a quote from uh, Eve Rodsky, who wrote the book Fair Play, or somewhere in her research, but it was something about, you know, can you imagine if we convinced half the population that they were better at grocery shopping and wiping asses than the other, right? And it comes to this point of like, can you imagine if we convinced women that there was only one spot at the table for a woman, what would happen, you know? And it's like this... It is like you're saying that like systemic thought of of scarcity, that systemic thought of, you know, won't this be a healthy competition? And in fact, it's very unhealthy and some of the things that play out from there. So totally. it's interesting. I, I see I, I really like the point that you emphasized disappointment, because I think in so many ways it's not as aggressive. It's not as outright. It's not as, you know obvious and shocking as you might see glorified in a movie. It's much more subtle and it's much more um, consistent where there's those moments of like, how do you not understand or how do you not see this in the way that I'm seeing it? And that disappointment, I think I can definitely relate to that. And I've also seen in our many years, uh, certainly at this company, a lot of women on their own journeys of realizing things that they, you know, maybe, and myself included, things that, oh, I, I wouldn't say those things today that I said back then, or I wouldn't feel that same way now that I would have felt back then. So like, we're all growing and evolving. Um, but I do think it's, uh, it's an unfortunate kind of part of the story we're told that yeah. you then kind of can, can go into. 
Um, and then we and then we perpetuate it ourselves, right? Once it becomes part of that story, just like you said, can you imagine if a woman doesn't help a woman, right? Like it's it 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 just is a system that we're part of. And I think it was really interesting to dig into that and start to pick at it. Just, you know, yeah. pick apart at that narrative. Because yeah, to your point, if there was only one spot on a board for men, wouldn't we expect them to have sword fights over it? Right. And yet somehow we're supposed to be all gentle and help each other. Well, that's something we've been convinced about yeah. um, or, or part of our story, but that's not really what happens. Right. Right. And it's, yes. And, and I think it also goes into, I, I was, uh, I shared with you, I just binge watched this show. It's so good. I'm going to give it a shout out. Um, Ted Lasso, it's an Apple TV or Apple plus, whatever it is, um, uh, new show out. And, there's two female leads and at one point they're, you know, it's interesting because one of the characters is she doesn't hit that likability meter and you're starting to see that break down as the show goes on. Um, but there's a scene of them in the bathroom and she, one woman offers another woman a job and she's like, I'm not going to take a job in the, in the bathroom. And she's like, why not? Men have been offering men jobs in the bathroom for generations. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so true. I've always said that. Like, you know, it's super easy when you're thinking about a reorg or knowing that somebody's going to lose a post. And then all of a sudden you're golfing with somebody on Sunday. And then you say, hey, did you hear this position is opening up? I'll introduce you. Or, hey, did you know that person is out? You should go after that job. Like there's so many of these sidebar conversations that I've got to be honest I have not been a part of the majority of my career, right? And so this comes to not only job opportunities, investment opportunities. Like I've literally had somebody who's done very well in the Valley tell me about, you know, investing in a company pre-IPO. And I'm like, how does that happen? Oh, you got to know people. Okay. So, you know, it's like all of a sudden you realize that there's this whole economy going on under that is very backslappy. And I think that that or back patty, whatever a, a term for that would be, but that is a space that women are not, we don't yield as much power. We don't have as much access. Um, and I think that is really where you see this massive gap in wealth and opportunity. Did any of that come up in your conversations at all? Or do you think women are even aware in some cases? I think think yes it came up because there was a little bit of like you'll you'll see it in in where the women were mystified mm -hmm. how do you find that sponsor that lifts you up like how do you be in the room where it happens to quote hamilton <laughs> right like how how does that happen like what is the mystery there because mm -hmm. other people clearly know and i don't know and when you don't know, you're at a disadvantage, whether yeah. you know it or like, not. What if these jobs are posted on LinkedIn, like, hey, we're looking for a new CRO. Hey, we're looking for a new CRO. Like, it doesn't happen that way. And it's not headhunters. Like, it's, it's, that's what, it, when you see these executive moves across the different companies, like, it happens over a dinner. It happens in a very, very different way than any way I've ever been approached about career moves. Yeah. And, and, and certainly there's a chunk that are headhunter oriented and then yeah. they go to dinner. But there are ones where they're just conceived of 
at a dinner one night amongst people who are, you know, working on something. Yeah. Uh, and I do think what I'm seeing over time is that many women have seen that and are now creating environments for that for themselves, mm-hmm. whether it's because like they are starting to gather like-minded women for ventures. Um, you see this amongst other minorities as well, you know, much more sort of let's, if, if that's how to play the game, if that's the game, then let's go break it down and let's go make it more minority friendly and let's go invest in the businesses that we would invest in that aren't getting invested in. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as you know, if again, you just keep getting the same like-minded people in a room, only certain ideas will get funded, even if they don't speak to the rest of the world. So I'm seeing that start to happen. Yeah. Uh, At the same time that I'm seeing, I think a little breakdown of, of the, you know, little chinks away at the traditional way of doing things and whether it really produces the best results. But I think that it's still going to take a while. (laughs) Right. There's a little bit of reckoning there, right? Like, you know, for, it's so funny. There's, whenever I see these articles about like, you know, women-led investment funds outperform and it's just like, Okay, you know, here's here's the pudding proof again. Like it's just we, you know, it, there's something where there's so much factual data as well as you know a general like narrative of of these things being positive, particularly in a capitalist society where you want we have all these for profit businesses, and when you see those numbers, it's hard to deny. Um, but I do think there is a behavioral aspect of it that, like you said, it's it's starting to chip away. Some of it is some of the more formalized guardrails that are being put out in terms of equity and hiring and those types of of uh, things. But I, I do think that, you know, we're at a bit of a reckoning. And I love the idea of kind of gathering, uh, whether it's, you know, people of color, whether it's women, like gathering groups together to just say, fine, like, you know, we're, we're not going to join them. We're going to beat them. We're going to do this in a way that is actually more fulfilling to my value system or more significant ways that I can have impact. And ultimately it's like better than joining the game, you know? Um, so one other thing that you highlighted that I want to make sure we talk about, because, you know, certainly having gone through the length of our careers that we've had in tech at this stage, I'd imagine for some of our younger listeners where, you know, you mentioned kind of what if we told women what it would be like or how they could use their strengths or how they could feel about their confidence 10 to 15 years before they get there, right? Like I remember myself as a, I don't even know how old I was, I guess 27 years old when I joined Google. So now at 44, like what if my 33-year-old self knew where I'd be at 44 years old? How would I have handled things differently? Or how would I have potentially had more confidence um, or or more worldly understanding? I guess I'm curious to you why the age piece came out so much as an area of emphasis. When I was talking with women, it was a common refrain to say something like, I wish I'd known this when I was X age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wish I'd known this when I was starting out. I wish I'd felt this way in the beginning. I wish, 
that kind of feeling of, it took me 10 years to feel confident. It took me five years to speak up. Mm-hmm. I'll repeat that. Are you hearing the beeping? <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. There's I don't know what we have all sorts of background noise that happens on this podcast. <laughs> I'll repeat that line. Uh, it took me, yeah, it took me 10 years to feel confident. It took me five years to speak up. It took me 15 years to think I could be a people manager. Mm. And I think, again, that seemed to me like a systemic issue when I heard it from enough women, which is if, if for example on the whole, or a higher percentage of men are coming in, being raised with this ability that they should be a leader, they're going to think of those things or feel right off the bat the way we have to learn to feel. Right. And I think that that to me was, oh, can I give you that gift then? Can I tell Mm -hmm. you right now that you belong? Wherever you are in your career, can you not wait five years to believe you should speak up? Can you ask for the opportunities now? Um, And just start that journey now, even if it's hard for you. Start it years before you would have, because then we will change the system. Then more of us will be in the room. Then more of us will go up the ladder if we want to and be managers if we want to or at the very least, be in the room and voice our ideas. Right. And that to me was a huge, as you said, like we're all going through this journey and we're taking the time. And if I could shorten that for hundreds, thousands, millions of women, that makes a huge change. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all part of like rewriting the narrative a bit and you know, the work I do with breadwinning women is exactly that. If I had somebody 12 years ago telling me you're going to be fine, you know, flash forward, this is what it's going to look like. And trust me, you can do this. And this is not, you know, it will be a struggle at times, but no more than any other path is a struggle, right? If I had somebody giving me that message versus the message that we're told, you know, in 99% of of the media and and structural influences in our lives, it would have been a much easier adjustment and road for me. And I think that's that's what I strive to do is to shorten that time, get rid of those doubts, grow the confidence that we all innately have, because we all get it. We all get it toward our late 30s where it's just like, oh yeah, fuck this, you know? And all of a sudden you come out with so much more authority and you're just like, damn, what if I, yeah, what if I did start way back then? And maybe again, there's the perception issue too, right? Where we have a very different, we could say the same exact words and be perceived in completely different ways than men. But it is a, um, it is kind of rewriting that story and letting people kind of dictate for themselves uh, versus having it be necessarily a level of maturity in terms of days gone by. It's, it's much more about mindset. Yeah, I think so. I think that we keep waiting to be blessed mm-hmm. by an external authority often. And at various points in our lives, we come to this reckoning of, oh, no one's going to do this but us. Right. We, we got we to gotta go. The rest of our lives are up to us. We're not waiting for a grade. We're not waiting for some boss up in the high office to, to pat us on the head. 
we've got to go do something. And, and I think that that is a unfortunate side effect of how we're raised Mm -hmm. that other people aren't always doing. And could you, could you mix that up a little bit? Yeah. You know, I, I do think we're, and I talk about it in the book, right? Women are, you know, for the very same things men will say we're deemed brash, you know, there, there's certainly still things that we have to navigate within that, but just to speak up a little bit more to, you know, say that you're interested in people management years earlier, whatever it is, right? Those little things can make such a big difference to even our earning potential, which then equals up to comfort should our partners decide to not work or have to not work for a period of time or whatever it is. It all kind of adds up to ultimately our comfort in our lives too, not just in our careers. Right. And the the ability to have impact, the ability to be more fulfilled in your careers, the ability to contribute more to causes we care about, all of those things matter. Um, Alana, I'm so excited for you and the launch of this book. Uh, For our listeners, how can they learn more? How can they pre-order? When can they expect to get this book in their hands? The pre-order information is showing up on a lot of book sites that you may purvey, you know, the Amazons, the Barnes and Nobles types of the world. Uh, But you can always find out the latest at alanakaren.com. That's A-L-A-N-A-K-A-R-E-N.com. And uh, when is it coming into print? I'm a print girl. You're a print lady? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't Uh, mind, I don't mind the big print when I accidentally order that one too. (laughs) I'm like, ooh, so relaxing. Big oh, yeah. letters. <laughs> no, no squinting. Uh, ebook and audiobook this month. So it's September uh, 2020. And then the print will be out December 1st. Awesome. So a perfect Christmas gift for all of those on your list will be the adventures in tech for women. Why they, how they get there and why they stay. Why they get there and how they stay. <laughs> That's okay. your next book. That's your next book. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Alana, this has been so great. Thank you so much for making the time this morning. Thank you. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. 